Hello and welcome to the first episode of Yappiness. Our first ever guest will be the devilishly handsome historian Seth Hall, otherwise known as the man with the most luxurious hair you've ever seen. Seth and I met in college and we lived together for roughly half of our college career. Without further ado, here's Seth. Hello, Seth. Uh, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing all right. I, uh, I caught up and I ate food and that's always a good start to a day. Yeah. Yeah. Would you, would you have anything crazy or? Uh, I just had some bread with some jam on it. Oof. And then, uh, and then I had chips because I had yeah. chips. I lusted. Because you're an adult and you, know, <laughs> you can make your decisions. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. But before we get into it, I would, uh, you know, I, I'm always trying new things and uh, people make fun of me for having peanut butter only sandwiches. And so I went to the store and I was like, I'm going to pick up some jam, jelly, don't know the difference, looked it up many times. And I couldn't find grape. And I was like, uh, I don't really like strawberry. I picked up apple jelly. And picking up apple jelly has made me the target of, I think, more criticism than not <laughs> having tried jam or jelly before. I, I like apple jelly. What, why are you being? I, I don't know. I don't. I mean, I think it's just uh, in, in the words of Trey, uh, my roommate, he said that, uh, you know, it's not totally abnormal. It's just if I haven't even tried it yet, it's just like, why did I go straight for the weird thing? Yeah, uh, I guess. But my logic was I've had peanut butter and apples and this is apple jelly. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh I, the first thing I wanted to ask you was, uh, you know, you're constantly telling me all these really crazy history facts because that's one of like my weakest subjects. And I was just wondering if you had uh, learned anything interesting in kind of the last little bit. Um, yeah, I, I thought about it a little bit and uh, I, I could probably go on about this forever, um, but I thought this would fit into what we're going to talk about generally. Um, so one of the things that like historians like haven't done a lot of work on is kind of measuring human happiness throughout time. So we don't, there's a couple of points in history where people became unhappier probably. And it's just really interesting. So like one of them was the agricultural revolution back in like prehistory, technically. Um, when people moved from hunter gathering, you probably heard this before. People move hunter-gathering to, like, um, farming. Um, farming, in a lot of ways, sucks. <laughs> um, you had a lot less leisure time. Um, worse diet, typically. Um, and, you know, more crowded space, because bigger groups. And um, things were probably a lot more egalitarian in hunter-gather societies. And then you have, a, like, a really, like, harsh stratification and um, there's a lot of people who think that's when, like, um, it took hold in the shift to the agricultural revolution because women had to, like, stay inside while the men did all the other body, like, farm work. And it became really important, like, who was going to inherit your shit? <laughs> and so, like, controlling, like, who the women had sex with became important for, like, the first time. That's how the theory goes. So that you actually cut out when uh, when blank took hold. So I'm assuming it's somebody with gender roles or kind of um, is oh, that what ag you're... Ag the agricultural revolution. Yeah, uh, you said that uh, during this time, 
there were kind of more needs for the men to stay outside than women to stay inside. But you, you said oh. this is when people think that blank started. Oh, patriarchy really took Yeah, hold. okay. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I figured it was, but I wanted to make sure. Um, and forgive my ignorance, remind me what egalitarian means. Um, egalitarian means like everyone's equal, basically. Okay, okay. that's, yeah. 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 Again, it's like I, I kind of figured from the context, but I want to make sure. Okay, so you said there were a couple times. Do you have another one in mind? Or? Uh, this one, this one is probably more contentious. Yes, <laughs> um, but the initial shift to the industrial during the industrial revolution to cities, cities were hell holes in like <laughs> the early nineteenth century. Um, there were a lot more. There were a lot of animals, and they were really dirty and poorly sanitized, especially in Europe. Europe sucked in a lot of ways. <laughs> Um, so like, I think the life expectancy kind of, I think life expectancy went down a little bit. If you lived in a city, it, it definitely went down if you were in a city, but I don't, I think it only went up in general because people survived infancy a little better around that time. And they had a lot more children. Um, yeah, cause and yeah, before prior to the Industrial Revolution, people like lived on farms and they had very seasonal work. And typically um, they had very kind of like communal, like workplace social relations. And then they were kind of uprooted from all that when um, the shift went to like factory work where it's very regimented and You've never met your boss before, your other workers, and everyone's from a different place. And um, workplace discipline became really important because you're working with heavy machinery where you could lose your finger um, any day of the week. And so, you know, it paid off eventually. But it is interesting that there are these forces that make us more miserable. Um, a current day example might be Facebook. And so that's, that's my spiel. <laughs> Gotcha. So I have a few questions. Uh, one, you mentioned that the life expectancy in uh, cities went down. Is that as a result of workplace accidents or do you think there's other factors at play there? I mean, obviously there's a ton of things, but. Um, I am not an expert on this sure. period. Um, I know for a fact that um, life expectancy was worse in cities compared to the countryside in, in that contemporary time period. It's the opposite nowadays. Is it like the spread of disease and is it proximity? Is that what is so dangerous? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, lack of sanitization. Um, yeah, there was a big lack of like, um, like uh, sewer systems um, and like running water wasn't really a thing until like the late 1800s, typically. Um, there were like communal pumps, I think. Um, anyway, you had a lot more people living in um, dirtier and there's a lot of pollution too. That's part of it. Yeah, dirtier places um, alongside animals because there were like workhorses and people owned like like chickens and pigs, you know, because they're still from the countryside, you know, to take care of them. And so that proximity of animals and lots of people and unclean um, living conditions, um, it produces like a bunch of new diseases, I think. Um, the only way I think of, I think it's like, um, like cholera maybe because um, there was like, animal poop would get into the water and yeah 
because i assume with all the horses just going down the street it's like the streets are at any given time just covered oh oh yeah horse shit uh here here is actually um a really great fact um the the car the invention of it's like mass producing the car saved new york like new york was projected to be like buried in horseshit by like the (laughs) 1920s and that's like exactly when like the car was invented and will mass produce and everyone switched the car like immediately (laughs) (laughs) that's really funny um i have a question i think that kind of ties the two together because the first thing that you said was that when uh, cause it makes sense, right. As a hunter gatherer, you're kind of, you're going out and you're gathering just as much as you need or plus some extra, you don't really have a great way of preserving it necessarily. Uh, and there's all these different factors and then you settle down and it's like, now you have to have a, own a farm and now you have like this totally different, uh, structure to your life. And what I was thinking at first was it ends up being a ton of boring work because you don't have a lot of the like modern technology that we have now that totally mm-hmm. revolutionizes the process. So it's funny that you followed that up by saying that the industrial revolution <laughs> was also one of the worst times. Is it just the, I mean, it, it's, it's funny. I'm trying to figure out exactly how to articulate this question. Do you think that there's some sweet spot in history between I, uh, these points of transition, right? So I guess after you become agricultural as a society, it's like how long until you get so much machinery that you're just miserable? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not the machinery that makes you miserable. Um, again, to go back to Ford, the invention of like mass producing like um, like car-like things, like tractors revolutionized agriculture, like um, producing food, like food production, like it, it maybe doubled. I don't know. It was crazy. Um, I'm sorry. I got lost. What was the question? Oh, good. Uh, is there like a sweet spot, oh, a sweet spot between technical revolutions, I guess, or big societal shifts? Um, I, I think after they're like, people got used to them. So like, um, like kind of like right after like the New Deal, that resolved a lot of the problems that had been created um, uh, by uh, by industrialization by like this new like form of work. You know, it took like a hundred years to solve it. Now it's maybe unraveling a little bit again. But <laughs> um, yeah, because um, like unions were finally like. Um, supported and there was like um, you know benefits were created and people got to actually enjoy like this increase in productivity um, instead of just kind of being under this like new disciplinary regime (laughs) every day oh and like having a day off (laughs) like people didn't have day offs in the past and they it's (laughs) that's wild well, I mean, they did, but it was like like once a month. Sometimes, I mean, people worked for like twelve-hour shifts. Oh, shit's wild, man. I don't. So they, they worked for twelve-hour shifts, and if I recall correctly, they they didn't exactly make a whole lot of money for those twelve-hour shifts either. Oh no, def- definitely not. Yeah, 
Um, one thing that comes to mind, so we're talking about kind of these big industrial shifts that made people miserable. Is there anything that comes to mind where it was this big shift that everybody breathed a sigh of relief? You're, you're talking about the New Deal kind of answers that question, but if anything else comes to mind, I'd love to hear. Huh. Oh, like the vaccines. Um, um, germ theory. Like learning, like learning that washing your hands can keep you from dying before you're 50. Like advances in medicine are really important. You know, I don't think, I mean, nowadays there are a few people, but I don't think anyone's against that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. One, one thing that comes to mind is I know a lot of medical advancements were made during the Black Plague because they're like, holy shit, how do we how do we stop this? And they're like, well, maybe we should pick up like the poop off the streets and wash our hands maybe uh, and not uh, hang around sick people. No, I, I didn't know some of that. I, that is, I, you know, when you say you're not an expert, I, we need to say that like three times for me. Uh, <laughs> but I watch a lot of YouTube videos and the internet says that's what makes me an expert. So, uh, right. Yeah, I've done my yeah. own research. Yeah, for, for anyone to potentially listen to this keep in mind that like my facts are not all straight i just have i think i have a correct general picture so specific facts are probably incorrect yeah and, i'm just and, spouting off here yeah the the general overarching topic of this is it's it's just you know it's just conversation so right right any information you get from this is uh you know uh it's it's subject to more research um, yeah so I wanted to, I was wondering if you had any like wild history stories and to, to lead into this question, I actually have a, a story of my own. I've tried to kind of boil it down to the most basic facts to give you enough detail to know why it's so funny and interesting, but not to get totally bogged down in every little detail. Um, just as a precursor, this is straight from an internet historian video. Uh, they're all they're all hilarious, <laughs> right? Uh, this one is called the Swedish Job. Uh, it's a thirty minute video. Hopefully, this spiel will be significantly shorter than that. I encourage uh -huh. anyone to go check it out. So, Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, it's the National Museum, okay? and it's this team. It's a gang, but it's primarily a team of three people that are planning to rob the National Museum. So here's how they do it: they blow up two cars outside of nearby hotels in Stockholm to draw emergency services to those hotels. At that time, they enter the National Museum, which is five minutes before it closes. There is one security guard on duty that is in charge of trying to round everybody up and get them out. So one guy goes and occupies a security guard. I don't know whether it was chatting with him, being like, yo, I've got a gun, mm -hmm. right? They keep him occupied, whatever. And the other two guys make off with three pieces of art, which I have not bothered to look up the names of. So they get this art, they get out, and they go to a boat that they have in the canals. Uh, in the dramatization by the internet historian, uh, they lay caltrops for the police. I, you know, who knows if that's accurate or for, you know, entertainment purposes, but they escape the police via boat and canal. Uh, they arrive uh, maybe tens of miles from Stockholm down the river where they have a car waiting for them and they get their three pieces of art back to their HQ. They're golden. The police are stumped. They have nothing. 
And then a couple of days later, this old guy comes in and he says, hey, I was in a boat in the canals and I saw these guys, thought they were suspicious and followed them. I can show you where they parked the boat. So he leads the police to the boat. There's no identifying info. They've like scratched off the serial number. So they're like, okay, we're just going to take a picture of this boat and we're going to post it in the newspaper and see what we get. A couple of days later, another old guy comes up and he says, hey, I sold these three guys a boat and I actually asked them for their phone number as collateral. And so he hands it over to the police and it's their real phone number. Okay, so these guys have put together this whole Ocean's Eleven heist. They've pulled it off. And the one major oversight that unravels everything is the fact that they gave the boat guy their real number. Okay. So the police look them up. Two of the guys are in prison near Stockholm. And they're like, yo, what's going on here? Well, it turns out they're good behavior prisoners. So they basically go to prison as a daytime job and they're let out on the weekends where they pull <laughs> off this heist. <laughs> so they go and they round those guys up. And, you know, they're like, ooh, we're innocent, we swear. And no one believes them because there's just so much evidence against them. Uh, in one guy's cell, they found a bunch of newspaper clippings about uh, art heists. And so there was just no, like, there's no trial to be had. These guys are guilty. But there's a problem. They've got the guys, but they don't have the art. Uh-huh. And no one will talk. So eventually, let me scroll here. They, I can't remember how exactly they figure out like the first, where the first piece of art is, but they finally find some guy who is trying to sell the art. Oh, and this is, sorry, I'm, my facts are a little out of order. At first, they're like sitting on this art. And uh, if you've ever read about art heists, it turns out the hard part is actually selling your art because it's stolen. So who, you've got $30 million worth of art, but you don't have $30 million. So they can't find a bidder and they try to sell it back to the police. And this doesn't really go anywhere, which is, I think, why I missed it. But it's really funny because they did it through an attorney. And if the attorney comes in, he's like, hey, uh, we're willing to give you back the money, the, the paintings for money. And the police are like, uh-huh. Well, you're arrested because like, you're collaborating with criminals to extort the police, which I just <laughs> thought was hilarious. <laughs> Um, so they catch these guys, whatever, and whatever that process was, and they're trying to get the art back. So they get the first art piece back uh, through like a fake buy. They just go in and they're like, hey, I'm a billionaire. I'd like to buy this stolen art. And then as soon as they see the art, they swoop in, take the guy away. They've got their, their third guy and one piece of art. Silence on the other two. Okay. Fast forward a couple of years or something to an operation in Los Angeles. And these guys have some wiretaps on a local gang and they hear them talking about the painting and they're like, holy shit, this is the one from Stockholm. So they're keeping tabs on these guys and they finally get hands on one guy that was a part of the old gang in Stockholm and the new gang in LA. And the funny part about how they picked them up was they watch him come out of his house and he's got like a vaguely painting shaped bag and they're like, there it is sick them boys and they go and they like grab this guy and it's his laundry <laughs> but it doesn't matter 
because they've got a ton of dirt on this guy. They know he's involved. Why was his laundry square? I don't know. Who knows <laughs> if it was really square, right? But it's like a okay. bag that's like vaguely okay. painting sized. And they're like, All right. like, we know this guy's got the painting. So they go after him. Yeah, they bring him in. And basically, uh, they like, they're like, hey, we have so much evidence on you. It's hilarious. So just fess up. And he does for one of the paintings. He takes them to a local pawn shop. It's in the it's in the bottom floor and it's just wrapped in like a plastic bag leaning in the corner. And so they've got two pieces of art. And they're like, look, dude, we've been doing we've been jumping through hoops for forever to find this art. You just got to tell us what the third one is. And he's a little hesitant, but the evidence over over him is overwhelming and uh, they're willing to cut him a deal. So the guy implicates his own son who was involved but still he implicates his own son and eventually uh they get the the third painting back in another sting operation it was back in stockholm actually yeah so yeah wow. these guys set up like this ocean's 11 heist they all get caught and then finding the art was almost as difficult as finding the guys and i just thought that was really yeah. really funny <laughs> yeah that is, that is crazy so do you have any, whether it's war stories or, you know, I know there's ones about like billionaires that never should have been billionaires. And what's your, like your favorite history story? I think my favorite history story. Um, well, my favorite history story is about bathing in like okay. the early modern period. And like, I can't make a story out of this. <laughs> no, even just information's fine. He doesn't have to be. Yeah. Smart. So, um, I I think like after the Black Death, there's this idea that came became popular in Europe that um, being around still water was bad for you. And so before that, people had actually bathed. Like they were public bathhouses, actually, and they were dope places. You could like pick up bread and drink beer and people had sex in them sometimes. It was like, they were great. And then people decided bathing was icky. And so it became popular and like good for your health to not bathe. And so this continued, I think, until like um, the 1800s. And um, like Louis the um um, at, at the time, Russians still bathed. I think it became popular there later. But like the Russian diplomat to France, uh, the Russians loved France in that time period. Um, uh, they met Louis the Fourteenth, the Sun King. Um, he was the height of masculinity in the 18th century. You know, he had like the long curly locks. He had like the big, like fur coat thing and the scepter and the heeled shoes. Like man was hot shit. And then the Russian ambassador comes to visit him and he's like, Louis XIV smells like a horse. <laughs> <laughs> and he was just disgusted. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. That's funny. My favorite part is reading about Europeans like, um, like who like go to the Americas or like Africa or India. And everywhere they go, people are like, the Europeans stink. <laughs> Why don't they bathe? <laughs> and can you imagine, like you, you, you like idolize someone, and you like you like look up to him. It's like your favorite historian. You finally get in the room. You think, I'm going to ask him this. I'm going to tell him this. 
I can't wait. And you walk in and there's just this putrid stench in the air. And like all those watering. thoughts leave your mind. Uh, and it's like, I have to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, you find out your favorite historian doesn't bathe. That's probably, that's probably why he's so good. He, he doesn't have time to bathe. Like, yeah, it's all studying, baby. It's yeah, all info. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a good one. That's a good one. And it's funny that like bathing and stuff like that came up earlier too. Um, so I, I wanted to switch gears a little bit here to something that um, All right. I think is, is really unique. Uh, you have lived, I mean, I, I want to say all over the place. I don't know if you would agree or disagree with I, that. I've traveled all over the place. I've only lived in Kazakhstan. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, so I, Which is I mean, I, interesting enough, probably. Yeah. I want to hear, <laughs> I want to hear all kinds of stuff. First, I, I'll just ask, what's it like, uh, when did you live in Kazakhstan and what was that like? Yeah. So, um, I was 18. Um, my, my parents are teachers, so they, they went there to teach. Um, and so I went my senior year of high school, I went to Kazakhstan and I went to a, to a school there. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know what else, what else should I? Sure. Sure. Um, so you, uh, I know that you were homeschooled for the first part of your education. At that point, you had been to public school before moving to Kazakhstan. No, no, no. Okay. It was my so, first time being in like a public school too. Okay, so what was what was it like experiencing public school for the first time in Kazakhstan? Um, you know, it was it was actually really great. <laughs> um, let's see. Like, it it was hard for me to like like home to deal with like homework. Um, but aside from that, I, I really loved it. Like, um, I think um, a lot of the people I met there were just really interesting. I think, I, I don't think I, I mean, I haven't really been able to like, just get to know a group of people, uh, a large group of people the way I have like since then, because in college, you don't really get to know people in classes and you like maybe kind of get to know your, like your dorm roommates, but not really. Um, so maybe that's why, but I think the people I'm that they're like the most interesting like group of people I've encountered. So you talk about uh, kind of a sense of community in Kazakhstan. What was the living situation like? Uh, you've vaguely described it to me before, but what what did you feel like actually unified you to these people, uh, whether it's proximity or living situation? Or... Um, yeah. So a lot of the people who like this is an international school, so all the people who go there they typically live very uprooted lives, very mobile. So school is like the one place where they can like, you know, you don't become friends with your neighbors because you're going to be gone in two years. So school is where you make friends like really fast for a couple of years and then you leave them. And so people are very good at making friends and getting along. And a lot of them were from like, kind of like rich families um as in Kazakhstan there were a lot of oil and like uh like car management like families that went to school there <laughs> and so typically there's a lot more pressure to like perform well in school too so yeah you know it's not like from what I've heard about public school like the states where people do not give a shit right <laughs> and they're just miserable there the whole time no people wanted to be there because that's like that's your community Wow. You know, that's really cool. Were, were these were 
So you say it's an international school. Uh, were you going to people, were they all from America? Were they from around the world? What kinds of people were you going to school with? Obviously they'd all been uprooted, but from where? Yeah, they were, so all, all the teachers were like Canadian American, but all, most of the students were Kazakh or uh, a lot of them were also Russian, I think, because that's, you know, the people who live in Kazakhstan. And then there were a lot of Koreans because um, the Korean car companies kind of were working there. I don't know why. I think it had to do with oil. And then um, also there were like um, some Korean communities there that live in Kazakhstan because under Stalin, he moved Koreans from Manchuria and dumped them in Kazakhstan. Gotcha. Just, just a really wild. <laughs> uh, so, so we talked a little bit about your school community. What was your life like out, outside of school? Uh, if it's hard to answer in general, maybe just one, the biggest difference between what your life is like here and what your life was like day-to-day basis in Kazakhstan. Um, school was a lot of my life. Um, but outside of that, um, we would like eat out. Um, I guess, I guess the biggest difference from what I do now is like, um, there were mountains really close by. Uh, This is, it was Almaty, which is like the biggest city in Kazakhstan still, I think. And it's surrounded by mountains. So we would go hiking a lot and that was super fun because there weren't like super well-defined trails and like that kind of like kind of that kind of leisure activity which wasn't like isn't popular in Kazakhstan so like they're kind of empty hmm. and so you kind of have you tend to have like mountains to yourself and it's kind of kind of cool especially you know going to Kansas immediately afterwards where I don't I don't think we have any mountains in Kansas at all no there we have some like it was small hills yeah was some, some pretty <laughs> impressive hills i wanted to say like medium-sized hill. i don't get even medium-sized like at all yeah really, yeah all it's small. like once you start like categorizing <laughs> hills it's like, i feel like i don't know enough about hills um so you mentioned that you uh <clears throat> that you went out to eat uh what was the cuisine like in kazakhstan is it kind of what's it like um it's a really multicultural place. Um, so like there was like authentic Chinese food, not like American Chinese food, which is good. I, I, I like both. Um, there was like Uzbeki food and Georgian food, um, traditional like Kazakh dish is uh, horse meat actually. So there's like a horse meat dumpling dish I tried. That was good. And uh, let's see, there's a lot more like lamb and duck. Hmm. Uh, why do you do you, do you have a theory for why that is, or was that just you know you just I, observed? <laughs> I I think um, they're not as preferential to like beef and chicken as we are, and I, I suspect it's cheaper, maybe. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean it's it's one of those things. I'm kind of putting you on the spot for something that you. Yeah, yeah, and and the horse thing is is just very traditional because they're descended from nomadic tribes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, so, so the cuisine's good. Uh, did you have kind of like, did you, did you have a McDonald's? You're the American in me has to know. Oh, oh my God. Um, 
by the time I left, there was one McDonald's in the whole country. And it was in a different city. Ooh, like a close the, city? No, the capital <laughs> city, which was like in the north. Did you, so did you, so you, there's, there's one McDonald's. Is there, is there fast food? I did, I did go to it. Oh, <laughs> actually. What was it like? Um, it was McDonald's. <laughs> I, but I know that a lot of, you know, international McDonald's have like entirely different menus. Was it kind of yeah. the American menu or was it something totally? I think, I think the meat was like a little weird. It was, I don't really remember. I've been to more than one like overseas McDonald's and they all kind of, they're the same but different yeah yeah, um, yeah that was actually something for cheap <laughs> interestingly it must have some money behind it because that was the first mcdonald's that i'd seen like the the self-ordering uh uh you know what i'm talking about like, like the, the kiosks, kiosks. Yeah. yeah 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 that's the first time i saw one of the self-ordering kiosks which was a lifesaver because like it's just it's so embarrassing to order food when you don't speak the same language. <laughs> you just have to grunt and point. Like, <laughs> you ever like use your finger? Like, like with the number five deal, and you're like, yeah, yeah, you're like five, five. like five, five. five. <laughs> like I, I knew numbers, so I could. Yeah, and then they're like, "Do you want to make any changes?" And you're like, "No, no I don't need to use the bathroom." <laughs> <laughs> Not even that good, man. I can't, I couldn't even say that. So, so, uh, okay. So that really brings up a, something that I don't think I've ever talked to you about. Cause so, some of this, you know, I, I've talked to you about some of it. I haven't. Right. What was your life like immediately before you moved? Did you have a whole lot of warning that this is going to happen? Was... Oh yeah. 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 Okay. So like a year before this happened, like my parents, we got glad us all together and we're like, Hey, we're thinking about doing this. What do you guys think? And I think we were all really on board, except for maybe one of my younger sisters. Hmm. So how did you prep for that? Not at all? Or <laughs> I mean, how do you prep? Language is kind of what I had in mind when I was asking. Uh, yeah, yeah. I did study a bit Russian. I did pick up, I did learn Cyrillic before I went there. What's the, so Cyrillic and Russian? It's the Russian alphabet. Okay. 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 Yeah. Uh, Sorry. I forget. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, because my brain, my ignorant brain, I was like, oh, it's another language. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is, yeah. Okay. Um, and then not to, not to get on a total tangent, but your, your sister actually still, uh, I don't say like speech, but she got pretty good at Russian, right? Uh, Leah. Yeah, she's, was, she's still studying Russian. Yeah. Okay. That's right. That part I was a little unclear about, but I, I knew think she's she, working. I think she's working on French now, hmm. actually, because they don't offer Russian where she's going to school. So, um, Oh, and tying in back to Russians loved like France, there's actually a lot of French loan words in Russian. Huh. Because um, when like Russian literature took off in like the 18th century, they like they thought France was the shit. And so like the Russian like nobility all spoke French. And when they wrote books, they used like French loan words. Huh. <laughs> Which is <laughs> So I, I, I'm used to loan words from English to Spanish or things like things that use the same alphabet. Uh -huh. I, I kind of have two questions here. I, I think maybe uh, one of them might be impossible to answer. So I'm going <laughs> to ask the other one. Okay. What's it like to learn a totally different alphabet? Because when I look at Russian letters, it's like, a, it's like hieroglyphics. 
they're like little animals and shapes <laughs> um some of it it's tricky um simply because um the russian alphabet is related to the greek alphabet and the greek alphabet is related to our alphabet so there are a few shapes that have um there are a few shapes that we share and some of them are the same sound and some of them are not the same sound <laughs> right are they Okay, so you know when you say we share shapes, I'm thinking about like some Russian letters that I've seen that kind of look like an A. When you say sharing shapes, do you mean something where it's a totally different yeah. letter? Like it's the same letter. Okay. It looks the same. Like it looks like the same letter. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, that's that's what I was getting at. Is it, like, is yeah. it like A adjacent or is it like an yeah, A? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For example, the A. Uh, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure there's an A. I, <laughs> I haven't used it in a while. Um, the A like makes an A sound basically. But they have another letter that looks like a B, like, but it makes the V sound. Mm. And then the C makes an S sound, and there's like a P that makes an R sound, and it's all a pain. Oh, geez. So, so you can't count on your intuition. You can't phonetically sound it out. <laughs> yeah, you, you just, you, I know it's crazy to pretend like it's a completely foreign language and then just learn what the sound is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's just attributing like a symbol to a sound. Whereas if, you know, in my own experience, if you learn how to read the Spanish alphabet, uh, you're, you're probably going to mess up the emphasis a little bit, but you can mm -hmm. still sound out like a Spanish word if you're familiar with the way that the letters interact and things like that. Right. Uh, but yeah, you know, when I look at Russian, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to Actually, try to find an English word and all these symbols that I can yeah, say. Yeah, English is kind of a monster. Um, most languages um, are more phonetic with their spelling. Like the, the, the letter, like the sound the letter makes is the sound it makes in the word. <laughs> Our language isn't really like that a lot of times. Yeah, I, you know, I, I dabbled a little bit in Japanese long enough to know that, you know, it was like this symbol makes this sound. You know, at least in like the kindergarten baby version that I was looking at. Right. Uh, I know that you have gone much further than I have in Japanese. How do you feel um, about this? No, no, no. Like they, they make the sound they make. Okay. It's, it's a wonderful innovation. I don't. <laughs> well, that's why I had to take out spaces because it had to be difficult in a different way. Mm. Sorry, I was just enjoying some water. All good, yeah. It's a hydro homie. It's important. Yeah, yeah. Um, funnily enough, um, when I came back to the states and everything was in English again, it was so weird after like that year of living overseas because I got used to everything being in Russian. And it's like, I holy shit, read. I can read everything. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, because you almost don't. I. You know, I've been outside the U.S. to Mexico, but I've been to Cancun and another city that is nearby, Playa del Carmen, I want to say. Uh, but it's always like the touristy part, you know. And, right. and so my limit, it's I have been outside the U.S., which is a lot more than some people could say. But I, I don't feel like I can kind of own it because it was like where Americans go yeah. in Mexico. Yeah, um, it's yeah. You, you you get used to things. It's 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 really crazy. <clears throat> you know, it's 
being a foreigner, I, I, I feel so comfortable being a foreigner. <laughs> like, if, if you're, like, in the U.S. or your home country or whatever, like, um, you know, there, you feel like you're supposed to fit in, you know? And if you're, like, socially awkward, kind of like me, I guess, or whatever, and you, like, you don't fit in perfectly, like that shit is super annoying you know like and like people judge you for it like what are you doing like why are you such a weirdo you know you're an american like me but if you go overseas and you do something weird you might get a funny look but as soon as you speak a different language they're like oh it's just a foreigner like <laughs> they can do whatever <laughs> yeah because it's you're here you're like i walk like you i talk like you so why the fuck am i so uncool <laughs> yeah yeah and yeah <laughs> And if you make any effort to like fit in, yeah. And if you're a foreigner, typically, you know, there's some always some assholes who are gonna hate you for being like uh, like a German or an American or whatever they think you are. <laughs> People can't tell. It's really funny. <laughs> but um, uh, um, there are a lot of people who just because you're a foreigner, like, oh, you're so cool because you're from somewhere else. And if you make the slightest effort to like fit in. Or they take an interest, like, you know, their country, they, they love it, you know, other people. Yeah, I believe that because, you know, it's, it's so, it's, I think even people who haven't experienced it, you know, like when I think about moving to a different country and not being able to read signs going, oh my God, I have to think really hard about how to ask where the restroom is. I can't order food. Mm -hmm. It's like anytime I see someone making that effort and it doesn't have to be well, I'm just so impressed by the fact that they're like going through the shit, you know? Yeah. And any amount of success, uh, which could just be existing in that place, you know, success is completely subjective. It's like, that's just so impressive to me it is it's such a, it's such a leap, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it is really isolating hard in a lot of ways, but you know, I went to new speaking school, so I made, I made lots of friends and it was fun. So uh, we're, we're sort of, uh, we're sort of about, about 45 minutes in, I believe. Uh, and this is kind of intended to be the last question. I'm not going to cut us off right at an hour, but I just want to make sure I get it in uh, just in case right. we have to cut it off. Uh, it's, it's the question I'm going to ask everybody, uh, Seth, what is happiness to you? I don't know. <laughs> I don't like a no man. That's okay. <laughs> it is such a big question. I knew you were going to ask me. Like, I mean, part of the difficulty is like, what do we even fucking mean by happiness, you know? And I think for a lot of people, you know, they, they the image of happiness is kind of like the like American dream, like success, like kind of happiness, you know, like get, get a job and be financially secure and, well, okay, more typically, I guess, the idea of happiness is to, like, find, like, a, you know, to, to create a family, you know? It's to a find, big offense. Yeah, to find your true love and start a family or whatever. That's kind of, I feel like, at least from, like, our media, that's the message of, like, what happiness is. And I think that's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> you know? 
I think people kind of assume that's what happiness is supposed to be. And I don't think we, we know like what happiness is. Sure. I, yeah. But for, for me, I guess, I think happiness is it's, it's more like, like fulfillment, right? Like you're not necessarily like, like happy. <laughs> How do I explain that? <laughs> like you don't have to necessarily be happy to be fulfilled you know, and to have a meaningful life, right? And I, I think when we say we want to be happy, I think that's what we really mean, right? I, I don't know. What, 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 are you, what are you thinking so far? Yeah. So, you know, when you, when you talk about that, what it reminds me of is uh, something that I believe in, something that, you know, when I asked my mother the same question, she's like, well, I don't, I don't strive for happiness. I strive for contentment. Uh, and if she basically said, when I strive for contentment, what I find is that if I can, if I can acknowledge when I'm content, that is happiness. And so that's almost, I feel like it's pretty similar to what you're saying, where it's like, that's the fulfillment, right? So she seeks to, you know, have some security and, you know, she doesn't want anything like big on her plate. That's my Mm -hmm. interpretation of what she's saying. Right. And just being able to acknowledge when times aren't shit. And then like, that is happiness is like right. fulfilling whatever your current goal is, uh, you know, and like that time when you're searching for another one and, you know, you're just coasting. And it's not what a lot of us think about when we think happiness, because we're like, well, I'm okay, but I still have this thing that I want. And once I get that thing, then I'll get happiness. And she's like, no, you know, you should search for being like, okay. You know, that, yeah. that's how I interpreted what you said. Um, there was, do you remember the, the most recent thing you said? I, I had some sort of comment about that. I can't quite remember. <laughs> I'm like, I said something like, I, I think what we really mean is like, what we really think about when we think happiness, what we want to be happy. So you want a meaningful life. I said something like that. Oh, yeah, I think... I, I've been really interested in obviously listening to interviews and that's you know how I ended up here with you. Uh, but some of the most in- interesting interviews are with the people who are dying. And I mean, some people, obviously, I'm, I'm talking about like a slow death, like a, like a terminal mm-hmm. illness. Or yeah, like, like, like cancer. Like, yeah, something that you can react to you dying. You know, if you just get by a car that you didn't see, you're not going to think much about your own mortality because the lights just go out and like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, it's weird because it sounds like you kind of lose your sense of self. And it almost sounds like this acknowledgement that uh, other people's opinions don't matter in like a negative sense. It's like um, the way it was described in a couple of different interviews was that you feel like more of a sense of you're a human being rather than an individual. And hmm. I think it's that sense of collectivism. I think I'm, I'm trying to figure out exactly where I'm going with this. It, it's like our strive to be successful in our own lives. Like it, it develops this individualism in the US that I think mm-hmm. is kind of harmful. Uh, and that it, you know, a lot of these people echo something along the lines of happiness is being in tune with other human beings. 
Mm-hmm. And that's obviously a broad stroke. And I'm sure there's a whole lot of nuance. The one thing that's been really consistent is these dying folks who are talking, being interviewed by the living folks. In every single scenario, the living folks were like, this is how I'm interpreting what you're saying. And the dying folks were like, no, 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 that's not quite it. And so I have this sense of like, there's like a certain clarity that you can only get once you know you're going to die. Hmm. Okay, there are two things I want to touch on that you made me think of. So the first thing is um, you talked about how like um, that sense of community is like kind of what happiness is perhaps. And um, touch, to go back to like the historical things we talked about, a part, I, what I forgot to mention is part of what made all these things kind of detrimental to people is it, 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 it was part of this continuing process of like atomizing society and creating individuals. So like in hunter-gatherer societies, you had like groups of 150 people and you knew everyone. And then you moved to agriculture and the population explodes and you don't know any, you don't know everyone anymore, you know? But we're still pretty communal. And then just revolution, you're uprooted from your, you know, your, your country, hometown, wherever you lived, and you move to the city that's packed with people um, you know, often people don't even speak the same language as you, you know, and you're thrown into a workplace, um, you know, where you, you don't know the people there either a lot of the time, and you just work all day. And then now um, we have the internet, and we live in this highly mobile society where you can live anywhere in the world and work anywhere in the world, especially if you work online. And you can just, and the just revolution kind of destroyed the family too, because um, economic activity used to be like um, a family like endeavor typically, but then it became um, this relationship between um, like the boss and the workers. I'm, I'm going through this all really fast because I want to get through it. But yeah, it's just kind of continuing trend throughout history of like more individualization, you know? And now we're seeing like with like Facebook and social media, it seems to create these really like granular isolated groups. And we have like epidemics of depression. And so I don't know, just something I think about. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, and it's, uh, I... Even saying the word, knowing that I'm going to put this in a public place, now I feel like I'm part of the problem. Like people could be on COVID, you know. It's like like now I'm 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 recording this podcast and like very few people are going to listen to it, but but still COVID's going to come up. It's like that sense of individualism, right? Because we've seen this explosion of remote jobs, and overall, I think it's fantastic. I think that um, not all jobs need to be in these horrible, small, cramped cubicles working nine to five. We need to acknowledge that computers at home are just as important as computers at work. Mm-hmm. And that's just powerful, more what I mean. And some of these jobs just don't need to be done at home. You know, yeah. I, I just I just got hired at a local community college and some of the tutoring is in person, some, uh, some of it's administrative work. And I'm going to go into the office to do admin work just to hold myself accountable. But my boss was like, look, you know, no matter what the university says, I don't need to watch you work. As long as I can observe 
progress on projects or the web page I'm working on or whatever. As long as I can tell you're working from home, you can just tell me that you're working from home. And I really think that COVID has helped open that up. But I think for people like me, it's kind of dangerous. Part of the reason I moved in with Trey in Michigan when I could go anywhere was because I was reaching out to a bunch of my friends who had moved out on their own. And a lot of them are introverted like I am. And there was this collective idea of, yeah, I'm here. I have this real job. I have financial security and stability, but I just sit at my house. And if you, you know, for me, I know if I had a remote job and I didn't move in with Trey, I would shut my door, live in my room, and I'd probably never move, mm-hmm. you know, and hope you would hope that eventually I would get starved for social interaction. I would go out and I could see myself doing that. But the thing is, there are individuals that need that kind of forced social exposure in order to become comfortable in those scenarios. And I think yeah. that COVID has really hit those people hard. Uh, people that are like me, but maybe a little bit even more intense. Yeah. Yeah. The COVID especially has made mental, we were already kind of experiencing mental health crisis and now it's, it's just worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With, with the work from home though, I think, I, I don't know. I think it's better because it, it gives people more autonomy over like their work. And I think that's a, a good thing, but yeah, it definitely is probably more isolating. I like working from home because it, it bugs me that there's this kind of subculture in work. Uh, and it kind of got, it's one of those things we all acknowledge, but you don't necessarily think about. Uh, and I didn't start thinking about it until Trey said something to me. And I can't remember exactly what I said that made him say this, but he said, I think you're confused about the amount of work people actually do in a day. Because I think I was talking about how lazy I was or, oh yeah, I worked, but only for three hours or who knows what I said, but it, he, he said that. And I was thinking about it, you know, cause I'm going to Kroger overnights at the time. And, you know, it's like, okay, uh, I'm going to take my break, but then I'm going to go sit on the toilet for 10 minutes and scroll on Reddit, you know, because <laughs> No one can come into the bathroom and be like, excuse me, you're not allowed to go to the bathroom. And as long as I'm not in there for 30 minutes, it's like impossible for them to argue, you know, whether I was doing it or not. Right. And so there's this whole subculture of like trying to optimize how much you don't work and everyone knows it and you're not allowed to like say anything. So what I like about working remotely is, you know, you can clock in remotely And then you can kind of just, it depends on the job, right? I'm sure some of them, it's like you're on some big Zoom call and everybody's watching your webcam or something like that. But you can can scroll through Reddit. You can sit on your phone for five, 10 minutes and you don't have the sense of like, I'm breaking the rules, but everybody does it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's like, there's not, you're not like, okay, I'm going to sit on my phone. I got to watch, see if my boss comes over because everybody knows I do it, but I'm not allowed to get caught doing it. (laughs) <laughs> and i think that's really funny and I, I think it's i think it's good that we work from home because like you said it's more autonomy and uh, for me commutes have been big since i moved to michigan you know we live together in emporia uh we were closest to the science hall where i spent all my time so i'd walk five mm-hmm. minutes and i was there now 
every single job I've had is a 20 to 40 minute commute. And oftentimes I'm working both those shifts on the same day. So it's 30 minutes there, 30 minutes back, a two hour break, 30 minutes there, 30 minutes back. And suddenly I'm look, using up like an entire workday's worth of hours just driving to work. So it's like I'm working 48, 50 hours just because I have to drive all over the place. Yeah. And I know that that's not quite the same situation you have because you've moved to Chicago, but how are your commutes? How's getting around uh, to do the grocery shopping and things like that in Chicago? Uh, grocery shopping is really easy. I can walk for like uh, a little over 10 minutes and I'm at the grocery store, pick whatever I need. Um, if I want to like go to the city though, like the center of the city, that's like, like 15 minutes. Hmm. So it's a little, but I don't have to drive and that's a huge, yeah. One of the weird things about Chicago is um, there is a transit system and it's pretty good, but like you can't go everywhere easily. Like if you kind of, if you're not heading towards like the center of the city, it's kind of difficult to get anywhere hmm. if you don't have a car because you're kind of stuck on your line until you get to the center. So if you wanted to go like east instead of north-south, which is how most of the lines are, you want to go east-west. If you just want to use like, the well, there are buses, but they come over 20 minutes. Sometimes they don't come. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a frustrating experience. American public transportation. Yeah. So yeah, the, the buses aren't great. So you want to take like the tram, you have to like ride it for like two hours, like towards the loop and then back mm. down towards wherever else you're going. Where it's like, if you went straight from, if you drew a straight line from A to B, it'd be like maybe 10 miles east. But the track of the train is like all the way in the city center and back out. It's like a U shape. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Um. So uh, first thing I wanted to say is we're around an hour. Uh, do you have time to keep going or? Yeah, I have time to keep going. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. Uh, and this was kind of the question I wanted to ask you before the happiness question, but I wanted to make sure we got that one in. Right. Uh, what? I'm going to keep hitting on the happiness thing. We're, <laughs> we're off track. We're going to come back to it. Yeah. What, uh, what has life been like in Chicago? We've talked about this previously, but I know for myself, Every time I get that question, my answer kind of changes as I experience more of Michigan. So how is Chicago going? I, you know, I really like it. Um, I'm still looking for work. And so um, I just, I can't allow myself to have too much fun, if any. But I just, you know, we're, we're both, well, I guess you're not, but I'm from a small town and then I went to a different country and then I went to a slightly bigger town. They went to college there. Mm -hmm. And so to live in a city that I can get around and everyone speaks English. <laughs> so I can actually take advantage of like the opportunities here is it's really great. It's really eye opening. Like I'm, I'm trying to convince like my little sister, she's not in college yet. My youngest sister to like come to college, uh, like come stay with me maybe and like go to college here because there's just like, I wish I had gone to college in a place with more opportunities, you know? Like um, going to Walmart wasn't 
your idea of like a nice Saturday <laughs> trip out with the boys? I mean, it was fun. <laughs> I mean, I, I love the people I met, but like, um, like the library like selection so much bigger here. I mean, just that is worth for me, like living here. <laughs> and yeah, you just have more resources in these bigger cities. Yeah, even I have to ride like the train for an hour to get to the center. It's it's much less stressful than like driving, you know, it's much more doable. And you know, there's there's organizations here. <laughs> you know, like for example, like there are opportunities to like intern at museums or to like intern at like a law firm, like whatever you, you want to do. You just there are more opportunities here than like a small town in Kansas. You know, I wish I'd been able to take advantage of those when I was in college. Instead of now I have to find a job and I don't have time to take advantage of those. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the thing that gets me, right? Is I'm, I'm constantly trying to branch out and get new things. And no matter how hard I try, there's always that underlying, because I've got, I've got two jobs, but they're both part-time. I'm still looking for full-time employment. And it's like that money thing is like just always in the back. It's like, well, I want to go and experience new things. But do you think we could experience something that costs $5? Or, you know, it's like, hey, let's go out for drinks. But I'm going to skip on the appetizers and I get one drink. You know, um, I haven't been doing that, by the way. (laughs) Whenever I go out for drinks, it's it's definitely a treat yourself mentality. Uh, Yeah, you know, the things... I want to do that I would, you know, I want to do like, like fulfilling is fulfilling ish things, you know, like, um, I, I want to find a job and know like what, how much time it's going to take. And then I want to commit to like doing some volunteer work or like, um, or, um, like finding a community center and like taking like, some like art classes or something you know stuff like that that's what i want to do yeah and i, I just yeah go ahead go ahead uh, no I, I i was just gonna keep rambling so go ahead i mean that that's what the entire point of this podcast is <laughs> um, I, I you know i'm prepared for like the one guest i get on i ask him like the one question at the beginning and then we just like it's like nothing else ever comes of it i i'm ready for it i'm, I'm here for whatever oh, i i could have kept talking about the first question man, Listen, you... man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all about just whatever whatever we want to talk about um, yeah yeah it's been it's been crazy you know trying to find because i don't know about you but you know all this job stuff is really stressful but I still have this sense of like, I have free time for the first time. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's been this, um, first of all, it was a difficult experience because then I didn't have uh, the I'm busy excuse to hide behind not having hobbies. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, kind of in the past week, especially since I, I finally quit that overnight position, you know, and I've, I've sent you, you know, like I, I did art and I sent you those art pieces that I did and okay. recorded. I was, I was impressed actually. I, like, it's funny. The, the, the one that everybody likes and that I like is like that black and white one. And that one took like 10 minutes. <laughs> Which one was like the, the first one? The, the, yeah, I think it's because it was the most recent one I've drawn, but I think it was the first one. It's where it's like the long snake thing yeah yeah uh, 
And that one, I don't know what it means. Yeah. Um, you know, the other ones have like kind of like a very little interpretation of what yeah. is on the page. Uh, yeah. But that one, it's like I've mentioned before wanting to do art to you when we live together. And uh -huh. for some reason, every time I mentioned doing art, that particular picture was in my head. Oh, really? Uh, huh. Yeah, and I don't know where it comes from or anything, but I, I finally drew it. And interestingly enough, uh, so it ends up kind of, it's like a snake thing and it ends in a light bulb. And that was actually supposed to be like some really unsettling face I was going to draw there. But mm -hmm. then I got interrupted uh, in the middle of, I had drawn that little line and I was starting to outline the mouth. I wanted to kind of outline the negative space and then fill in around it. And then I got interrupted and I opened it back up and it looked like a light bulb. And I was like, kind of oh, like, I like that. I thought it was like a clock. I, I thought it was because because I thought it was like some sort of progression of like time passing. That's a cool. That's why I like that piece because everybody has something different to say about it. And the nice thing is, yeah. it's all right because. Are, <laughs> yeah, are you are you familiar with uh like samsara? Uh no. Okay, so it's like the Buddhist word for um the cycle of suffering. Hmm. So like we're like we're trapped in like you know our material lives, chasing after our desires, and like we're suffering, and then we just do it over and over again, and we're trapped in it, <laughs> right? And that's what Buddhism is supposed to rescue, rescue us from, right? Anyway, when I saw that picture, like that's what I thought of when I saw, it. I I thought I saw like I thought it represented like a cycle of suffering, <laughs> or something like that. A lot of people have interpreted it as a passage of time. And I think it's a really interesting consistency because yeah. like I said, I didn't have that image in my mind and I have this totally different mental idea of what that art piece is. Yeah. And I'm excited to share more art because everybody has like such yeah. interesting things to say about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. nor, no, yours, like, it's like, it's not like technically like skilled. If, yeah. you, if you don't want to be saying, right. Of course. <laughs> it's like, um, like it's abstractly, um, like, um, interesting, you know? Yeah. And that's what I, I really wanted to, uh, just not worry about it. You know, it's like, just draw whatever feels right. And like, it's, it's nice because I'm not drawing a character. I'm not drawing, I'm not going into an art piece with a particular image in mind. It is literally like the first piece. It's like, uh, it was a shirt that I like to wear and then like the bottom half of a head with like, it's just cut off like halfway up. And then out of it is, uh, and this is, this is what the art piece was intended to represent. It may have been interpreted by the public differently. Uh, what it was, it was all these little ghosts that kind of each represented like the things that I was struggling with at the time. Cause what happened was I worked this last shift at Kroger and I wanted to feel this sigh of relief, but for whatever reason, like Monday night, like the night after I hit Kroger and I knew I was going to this new job, I was just fucking miserable. And I don't even know why. And I'm feeling fine now and it all passed and I knew it would. But yeah, it was like, I felt like I was supposed to be like coming out of my shell, like a, like a fucking butterfly, you know, like I'm, I've got my foot in the door and I should be happy, but I just fucking, I was just mad. Uh, and so I, I drew all like my different vices, like the alcohol, the, the pot, the, uh, and then the other two, you know, it's kind of my tendency to eat junk food was like the hamburger 
And then uh -huh. uh, the other one, kind of the, the one that no one understands because it, it really doesn't represent what it represents at all. Uh, kind of the pink one was like this, like sloth, this like laziness. And so the, it's actually like a finger wag is what that's supposed to be. Uh, but it's funny because I kind of, I lack the, the art skills to accurately mm -hmm. uh, in, draw what I'm picturing. And I think it mm -hmm. adds something to the art because then everybody gets something else out of it. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. There's something about it. it like, it, I don't know. It just, it struck me as like actual art. I don't, I don't well, know how you. to explain it. Yeah. Yeah. I've had, I've had very positive reactions to art. Like, so something was like, I didn't know you were an artist. I'm like, I wouldn't call myself an artist or what yeah. I did. <laughs> like, like, like the style, like, do you remember like, like the 3D, like horror, like animations, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I feel like I, I have some ideas in my head. I, I don't know if they're exactly what you're talking about or not. I don't know. It's just like, they're drawn very strange. You know, and they're like they're meant to unsettle you. You know, like the three D art. Yeah, you, you show me videos. Okay, I, I, I can't think of any YouTuber channels. I would say I, I'm. I think I. I think we're on the same page here. And yeah, I. Yeah, yeah. I any anyway, yeah. it doesn't. It's not as like it's not unsettling that way, but like the style like reminded me of that a little bit. And that's that's exactly where I got it. Actually, was um, I kind of had like a more horror e. Uh, vibe in my head but the, the problem comes in that uh if you don't draw horror things well and i use well uh, loosely uh it almost looks silly and so mm -hmm. like for instance um i found the bottom half of my face without my facial features on it to be a little bit more unsettling than uh, anytime i tried to draw like the bottom half of a nose or a mouth in that picture it's like all of a sudden the total vibe of the picture changes and it's like this hokey, bizarre thing now. <laughs> it just looks kind yeah. of silly. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, that's kind of where that like, cause it's the rough, you know, like I took the, every, every line I drew, I drew like six times and it was this very like short yeah. brush strokes back and forth. Yeah. No, I, I was impressed. Yeah, thank you. But yeah, my the overarching point is that like now we have this free time. And I remember in my thesis defense, uh, I said, I am just excited to finally be free from all these deadlines. Mm -hmm. And all my professors laughed at me and they're like, deadlines don't go away. And I was like, oh, you're right. And then I got to real life and I was like, well, yeah, my deadlines aren't gone, but I was totally right. I have so much more free time now. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, because I mean, not all jobs, most jobs, you go to work and you do your work at work and then you go home and then you can stop thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's way better. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay. Yeah. I have to, I know I have to meet with the provost next week and I have to have some stuff ready by X date. And objectively that's a deadline, but it's like, I'm not, it's like, a, for me, it's like giving a presentation, you know, I can, I can put my best work in, I can wait to whatever. And then uh, it's like, I just, I, just, I just do the thing. It's more like I'm prepping for an action. I'm not trying to write down something that's going to be graded. So it's like, people still care. You still have to do a good job. You still have to put effort in, but no one's trying to assign points to how you did. So as long as you do okay, it's kind of okay. Yeah.
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll check back in in a couple. years once we've worked a little longer no, i'm getting a phone call okay i, okay. Say, I, I think I'm you cut back. out there a little bit but uh, yeah uh, I, I i got a phone call okay uh, is, it, is it pressing do you no it was a okay. scam <laughs> oh they always are they always are yeah i know did you did you work we're going really off the rails here did you ever get uh there was a wave of spam texts that i got that I, now that i'm mentioning it it's actually calmed down but i know that a couple of my other buddies were mentioning getting spam texts as well I don't, I don't know. Wow. Dang. That's, I don't think so. They were some, I can't remember any of the ones that my friends got. They were, they were probably better ones than I got, but it's like, it's like, like hi, honey. Like <laughs> looking for, I mean, I got, I got like the stereotypical ones where they're like asking for money. I got the mm -hmm. other stereotypes where they're like, hi, honey, I'm a local single female in your area. And it's like, yeah, I'm sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> and you just stumbled upon my number. And you're ready. Yeah. So I have some sweaty fat guy We're working over his computer. I mean, that's what we'd like to hope, but you know, in reality, it's like a it's like just a robot <laughs> that is yeah, this, probably yeah, that's, text that's out sad. to like millions of numbers. I don't know. I, I hope it's not a robot because someday I'd like I just want to call them back at random hours. That'd be fun. <laughs> Yeah, I've always, you know, you see those videos online of people messing with like the scammers and stuff like that. And it's very appealing to watch. It's almost, it's kind of nerve wracking to try because you have no idea what they're going to say in response. And uh, yeah. yeah, there was one video that comes to mind that wasn't even really a guy uh, messing with a scammer. It was James Vicht, uh, the guy who does like the duck bit. Mm -hmm. uh, where he fills his apartment with ducks. Uh, great, fantastic comedian and intellectual. Uh, he set up an email address where it's like programmed to just send a response back to the email. And so he mm -hmm. found the scam that was just automatically sending him responses. So what he did was he set up this other email that automatically sends responses back. So these two computers are just pinging each other back and forth and there's no humans involved it's just two dude, robots dude the scammer left me a voicemail that's so weird oh i can't that's new like... i'm excited we've been trying to reach you about your auto insurance you've been chosen this is one scam call i've gotten more than once that's like your social security identity has been stolen or something you need to take action now all we need to catch the culprit is your social security number. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't think they even asked me something right away. They asked me like to like you need to email like this person right now, and it's been like a year since then. So I know I'm I'm all good because I, I think I would have noticed if someone was using my credit card or something. <laughs> my at this own, point, but I, I have two experiences with scam calls. One was when I was very young. I was like 13 or 14, and I can't believe how gullible I was. Uh, but luckily, I wisened up at possibly the last uh, the last second. Uh, it was one of those typical Windows calls uh, where they have you download a program where they can take over your computer, and then basically they've got your computer hostage. Um, and that one was particularly bad for reasons that I will share off camera. Uh, but basically, I downloaded the program, and he's like, "Okay, so what this is going to do is it's going to allow me to take over your computer." And that was finally 
when the like not stupid side of my 14 year old self was like, okay, well, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and thank you so much for pointing this issue out. I'm going to just call windows directly. And he's like, no, 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 we've got windows guys here. And it's like, well, no, no, no. I'll just, I'll just call, call Best Buy, you know, or something. And you know, that was when I finally backed off and I eventually hung up. And then he actually called me back because um, I started to panic and I didn't know how to be like, fuck you guy. Uh, so I just hit the end call and he calls back. And for whatever reason, like socially pressured, <laughs> I like answer the call again. And he's like, we got disconnected. And I was like, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> and I don't remember if I did. Eventually, he didn't get me any farther in the scam. I don't remember if I hung up on him again and just didn't answer the phone or if I, you know. but yeah, it was really bad. The second experience I had was in college. And I know this one got, it was exactly, it's like their dream scenario because I was a new GTA. I had a mixed track record as an undergraduate. You know, I, I, I was late for stuff. You know, I was... I was a you're, good, smart You're student. too hard on yourself. <laughs> well, no, I mean, like, you know, I, I just, I had this idea that I wanted to be, I wanted to be like the, the GTA that was like reliable. It was there. Right. And I got this email from someone pretending to be the head of department, Brian Hollenbeck. And he was like, hey, it's an emergency. And, you know, I was in that exact right headspace where I was like, I felt the need to impress that mm-hmm. I was like, I'm here. And it was like, I'm in a meeting. And uh, we promised this guy prize money. He needs three $200 Visa cards. I'll pay you back when you bring them to me. And luckily, you know, I was old enough that I was already skeptical from the beginning. You know, so right. it wasn't like before where I was. It's like, always gift cards. <laughs> yeah, that, I'm obviously, as soon as he was like, we need three $200 gift cards. I was like, this is probably a scam. But just in case it's not, I'm going to go ahead and go to Walmart. Like, because, you know, if... Dr. Hollenbeck is in this meeting sending me emails and it's legit. I want to be able to be there. And then I, cause I knew that he would slip up. He goes, emails too hard. Call me at blank. And I remember responding, uh, Dr. Hollenbeck doesn't have a cell phone. And I never heard another response. And I regret telling him that because yeah. now like the scammer has more information that he could potentially yeah. use to... now. So I, I do regret that. I think I should have kept that on the bill, but it was really satisfying to just not get a response. Um, and then the stupidest thing is it was only at that point that I hit the little drop down menu to actually see the email. This is like, I, I hate admitting to this as like a tech savvy 24 year old. And the email is like, the intro of his school email and then like a bunch of jumbled garbage that would have if i had just done that first i would not have wasted my time like driving to walmart it's so obvious but but yeah i thought it was really funny i was like yeah nice try you're giving me the cell phone number of a guy who doesn't own a cell phone (laughs) yeah i don't know what the deal with that college was we got a lot of scam yeah yeah i got a lot of phishing emails there yeah it was weird um Oh, any, anyway, let me think. Like, a lot of, uh, it's just like a lot of our society is built around like preying on people's weaknesses. I'd, like, is that something you agree with? Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, especially if you're online, like, there's all those ads, you know, that are like, these pills make your penis grow five inches. <laughs> and it's like lonely singles in your area, yeah, right? Stick your now. cock in a watermelon, they'll grow 12 inches. 
right? And those are everywhere. Um, but you know, there are other ones like um, that are like increase your real estate value now, you know? And you can tell these are all like shitty ads. You know, they're, they're fake. Um, my favorite is like, apparently, <laughs> I, apparently to an old man in, on some sites I go to. Because <laughs> it's like, uh, this fruit eases your diarrhea, your constipation symptoms. Like, this will clear your bowels. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> what did I click on? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Thinking. I don't know. Yeah, I, I get weird ads. It's crazy. Yeah, and we're, we're inundated with this shit, you know. And even like the less tacky ones, like I'm just trying to watch like a video, like about the Jajillion Dynasty or whatever. And it's like, hey, do you want Wendy's right now? You want fries? <laughs> yeah. You want a beer? Come on, man. Yeah. I want it, don't you? Are, are getting beer? Yeah. Look at this ad of all these people having fun drinking beer. That won't be you. You'll be alone in your apartment getting drunk, but you could be having fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just every ad is basically like promising, like this will make you happy or like you need this. I, I to speak positively about an ad, which is probably a first for me. Uh, there have been these ads I've been getting on YouTube, which are usually the worst offenders. They are silent Uber ads. And they're still annoying because they're interrupting uh like my pre-video like my video basically but they're like six seconds and they just pop up the first one i ever saw just said uber because the the funny thing about all these commercials all these companies that spend so much on advertising this is probably not true but part of the the cynical part of me is like they're so big mcdonald's doesn't have to put effort in ads it could probably put like a five second picture of the golden arches on the screen Mm-hmm. And it would make you want McDonald's because you yeah. know everything you need to know about McDonald's. Like you're not watching a commercial like, <gasps> like they have McChickens there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there are exceptions. Like the McRib is back. I'm sure those ads generate like an incredible amount of money. These like seasonal type things. But if you're just trying to advertise your food, McDonald's, Wendy's, these crazy powerhouses probably could just do. It. And that's what Uber was doing. And I really appreciated that as like a consumer because they just popped up with Uber. Now, I said the first ad I got was just Uber. Now it's just a picture of a guy sitting in a car and it says, get essential rides with Uber. But it's still silent because it tells me everything I need to know. Right. (laughs) Without being this obnoxious ad that I am like, skip, 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 skip. I know, right? (laughs) It's it's so stressful too because I'm just like, if I'm trying to like listen to like this, this is like a chill podcast or something. Oh. Sorry, phone notification. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just trying to listen to like this chill podcast. And then it's like burgers at <laughs> just screaming at me. I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. One of the worst offenders, I think, in an exact scenario is Spotify. Uh, oh, have you ever used Spotify free? Uh, yeah, I have. Yeah, they like. Interrupt. I stopped using it because it's. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like it's like when, it's like uh, I was complaining recently about video games that acknowledge shitty water levels and then immediately put you into a shitty water level as if like the irony is lost on you and you're miserable uh-huh. anyway. It's yeah. like Spotify, 
would have these like ads where there are just all these obnoxious sounds and loud crashes. And it's like, do you hate loud, annoying ads? Get Spotify oh, Premium. I've heard that one. And it's like, dude, why are you such a dickhead right now? <laughs> yeah. Because Le- leaning into it doesn't make you feel any better. It's not like, oh, I see how clever you are. I'm not annoyed by this ad anymore. Like, oh, did you see The Boys? I have never seen The Boys. Okay, like the boys, uh, in, in part, it's like this criticism of like the evil corporation. And it's like, it's kind of anti cap, right? Mm-hmm. But it's Amazon made it. <laughs> <laughs> and like the all the companies do this, you know? <laughs> it's, like, it's like that. <laughs> I mean, I, I, think, I think what happens there is that like Amazon is like funding it and like all these Netflix series and Amazon series and things like that. It, it's like that's just who's putting money into it. Like the right, jokes right. are coming from like the writers and that I I realize that, but it's but the, the same kind of thing. Really funny. Yeah, yeah. It's just like we acknowledge that this is bad, and we acknowledge that you acknowledge this. Buy our shit. <laughs> you know, COVID like really makes me. I bring up COVID because it was this sudden and dramatic shift in the way that we did things, right. and it was kind of out of necessity. And all these things we were told were impossible, like working for home just happened because we all knew they weren't impossible and it it just makes me wonder uh like what kind of things could we do if we all just like did it you know like uh i was recently having this discussion uh it was like a 4 a.m discussion but how because we're kind of losing like the gold standard and stuff like money that has always been a construct is now just this completely vacuous, like a point system. And like to get more points, all you need is like some pixels on a phone. Like, and I know that economists, or maybe they wouldn't, my impression is that economists or somebody would argue that that's not true and there's real value. But I, I'm kind of doubtful of that myself. Um, there are some mostly libertarians there's some like boomers who are like we need to go back to the gold standard and there's like the only people to like we need to invest in things that have real value like land and gold (laughs) money isn't real like what are you talking about (laughs) yeah i think it just Uh, it it eases my financial concerns a little bit if i just think about things in points like if i'm like okay if i was playing runescape right now and I had to spend this portion of my gold pieces on rent. Would I feel stressed? Like, no. It's like, okay, then how different is my situation really? Besides the fact that I could like be homeless and die and stuff. Yeah. All that trivial stuff. You, you know, the dream is to have enough money that you can say that money doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's so funny. Like all the people that are saying like money doesn't buy happiness or all the people where it's like they don't need more money to buy happiness. Yeah. Mm. It's true after a certain point. <laughs> yeah. And I think that plays really well into kind of um, uh, what I interpret as my mother's contentment argument where it's like you need enough money to be content and then making the jump from content to happiness is like a totally subjective personal like thing that you have to figure yeah. out. Yeah. I, I do think part of the problem is, and like COVID, I think has helped with this a, a lot. I think it's, we do live in a society that isn't like, the, the, the goal isn't to make you happy. 
the goal is in a lot of ways to like kind of prey on you. It seems like, you know, like you spend all day working at a job um, typically that you hate. I think it's like 60% people hate their job. And then you go home and you just, you, you do the thing that makes you happy or you try to, which is typically something no, no. Typically, you like go home and you like watch TV or something, because you just want to relax after your bullshit job. And then you did it with ads telling you like to to be really happy, you need to smoke cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> Pop this pill, and everything will be fixed. Right. And it just has gotten worse with the internet because if you're on, if you're online, at like any time you can be reached by someone offering you anything whether it's like, uh, like sex or you can pay someone to talk to you, I'm sure, or you can get your, um, or you can order food. I, I, I don't know what, what are other basic human needs <laughs> work from home, make, make money, like well, passive income, develop your passive income. That's the ads. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's so they can make money off of you. Yeah, it's like, yeah, all those pyramid schemes. Like, they make money for, like, a few people at the top, and everyone else is exploited. And that is yeah. the name of the game. That is the whole point of these operations. Yeah. And, you know, there, there are a few things that I think our society, especially American-like cities, really, um, like, don't do. That's, like, so obvious. Um, like, if you want to like like go and like meet people outside of like inviting to your home or work where do you go where do you go to hang out and just socialize right without spending money you could like go to the library maybe but like you're not really supposed to talk at the library yeah my only thoughts like a park yeah you can like be outside but I'm thinking like, okay, I go to the park twice and it's great, but eventually I'm going to want to do something else. Yeah, and you know. The, you start spending money. <laughs> our, our society is built around lonely people trying to fulfill their desires, well, trying to like become happy by filling themselves with burgers and, um, you know, getting sex off a Tinder app or something, you know? Yeah. It, it's. Yeah. It's not built to like um, build a communal, like a sense of community and to do fulfilling activities like, like rides or, you know, build a boat or whatever you want to do, you know? Yeah. I, and this is, this is a bit of a tangent, but it's kind of related. It's, it's like, uh, and I keep thinking as soon as the conversation dies, we should end because this is this is going to become two hours very quickly. Uh, dude, we, we whatever. talk for hours. <laughs> I know. I, well, that's a problem, right? Is that if you and I were just chatting, which is exactly what this is supposed to be, we could be here for like eternity. Yeah. Uh, but I, I really wanted to talk about this with you specifically because you always gave me a hard time about it. I have recently downloaded a bunch of different dating apps. Uh, and the reason I wanted to bring it up with you was because you always had, I, I said I had boomer views on dating. Uh, because I, I was so Sometimes. against uh, <laughs> dating apps. And you're like, what's wrong with them, huh? And I couldn't really articulate it, you know? But I, 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 I've tried them out. I, I'm on two. I'm on Hinge and I'm on Bumble. Uh-huh. And they're just awful experiences. Um, it's like, 
I'm supposed to describe myself in like two prompts and select like five things that I like. And the things that I like are not deep. It's like, do you like coffee? It's like, yeah. But if I only get to, if I only get to pick five things, like, I don't know, is coffee like, <laughs> is that enough? Does it deserve to be on the list? How do you boil yourself down to five things and two prompts? And there's like this, it's like, no matter what you write, I feel like you just look at these photos of people and you're supposed to like, you're supposed to give a thumbs up or a thumbs down essentially on how they look, you know, yeah. and everyone could pretend that it's not that way. But I, I honestly don't think anybody does. You know, I, I think that, and so many of the people on the dating app that I see, half of their bio is bitching about the dating apps. <laughs> it's like, everybody uh -huh. knows how shit it is. But yeah. like, what are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to, I, you know, it's this really yeah. weird experience. I, I agree with you on dating apps. Most of them suck. I think most of them are designed to like leave you unfulfilled. Yeah. Right. To some degree. So that you keep coming back. Right. Because they're all just trying to get you to engage more. It's all monetized. Everything is. Yeah. Right. Um, when I said you had boomer views, I think it was, it was more to do with relationships. I would believe that. You, you have some boomer views. It was kind of my opinion but maybe I, I i believe that yeah but hey i i think it's it's fun that you tried and that's that was like there's no there's no way to like speed along the process because i i think you know i don't think there is anything you can do i think that uh like many things in life it's just something that um you know like an overarching theme i've seen when i'm listening to people talk about their success is it's always the same. There's always this uh, undeniable amount of luck involved. And all you can do yeah. is make sure that you are prepared to take advantage of a lucky scenario. So yeah. you like, you just, you just prep yourself and then you just have to wait and hope. And I think more what like, and maybe this is, this is probably hindsight. You know, this is probably me uh, have a, a few months or a year down the road, kind of looking back on what I thought then it's like, it's just frustrating that it's like, you just, you just have to wait. And it's like, what, what can, I mean, you can, you know, go to mixers and stuff like that, but um, you know, basically you're not going to find someone if you're not meeting people, but meeting right. people is like all you can do to like, yeah. Yeah. To, to pursue a relationship. Yeah. And yeah. And, and like, you know, so it just feels so horrible to be like swiping left and right. And then, you know, Bumble is nice enough to tell me when I've missed a match, which is just horrendous. Uh, because then <laughs> I feel like shit because I've like, I've I've looked at this profile, I've judged this person person based on four to five images and two blurbs about themselves. I'm like, I don't know if we'll get along or not. I'm just gonna say no. And then it's like, wow. Oh, I mean, they thought they could get along with you, so go fuck yourself. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, I just. Yeah. I, I don't know if this is true at all. I've heard like a lot of women on dating apps are like kind of assholes. I, I how could they not I, be? I would assume because if you think about the average male, I mean, how many guys do you think just go through and like write, 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 write? You know, like how many, yeah, how many I, hookups I, I, do they get? How I, many, I, yeah, there are probably much fewer women who do that. But yeah, yeah there's right? probably a, a, a fairly large subset of men who just you know swipe right or whatever it is yeah so i can only assume and maybe you know maybe this isn't true but i you know 
I was thinking about it because I was like, why, you know, I'm not ugly. Like, why is nobody liking me back? And I was like, well, their feed is probably much more oversaturated than mine uh, of people who like don't know what they want. And, you know, like you go on this dating app and you put, you know, I'm looking for a relationship. Don't, you know, I don't, not interested in something casual, but how many guys do you think are just going to swipe right and try to get in your pants anyway? That's kind of what I think. Right. It's just like, right. Right. It's like, God, I just, that has to be like a hellscape, you know, on Bumble, uh, like the woman has to message first. Um, and I, I don't have enough experience with Bumble to feel positively or negatively about that, but I totally get why. Because. Yeah. yeah I have heard that a lot of women get harassed on these apps. Yeah. Like, like the dick pics. I don't, yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> it must work sometimes. Right. Otherwise you'd only do it once. No, that, that's the eternal mystery to those of us that don't send dick pics, right? It's like, what kind of ma- mindset do you have to be to be like, you know what's going to positively impact my, my situation here? Sending an unsolicited photo of my genitals to someone. That's going to make know, them happy. Maybe, let, let's, let's, change, let's change the world here. Let's shift our focus. Yeah. What if, what if this is the optimal way to do it? It's like, you just want sex. You send a pic of your dick. And then like, you just no bullshit, you know, you're just straight up like, here's my penis. What do you want to do? And most people say no, but some people say yes. Maybe that's free to conduct that experiment on your own. I would love (laughs) for you to come back and let me know how it goes. Um, Maybe, maybe the men who's in the dick pics, maybe they've got it all figured out. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they've self-actualized. Maybe it's the intellectuals that have got something. (laughs) You know, that's what you never, you know, people love science because of like, I don't know, the scientific process or years of research or something, but I'm learning off of experience. You know, that's, that's what it's all about. It's funny. Uh, when I downloaded hinge, I made my profile and the only person that's ever matched with me on hinge, um, the outlook isn't as bleak on Bumble, but the only person that ever matched me on hinge was the most obvious robot on the planet. Like, it's like this, like, you know, like the, the, the big titty model, probably like the first one off of Google images. And every piece of the bio is like, I'm not interested in BS. I'm here for a good time. If you know what I mean? And I was like, holy shit. Like just the most obvious, like fishing, like just mm-hmm. looking for these guys that are like just on here for, for like a night, you know? Uh-huh. Um, maybe it's real maybe it's not a bot man and even if it was it's like i that's not what i'm you know that's not what i'm here for so it was an easy it was an easy deny but it was just really funny i mean it had to be a bot because it was like 15 minutes after i made my profile it was hilarious how fast it was yeah Um, it could be like other guys trolling men too i could see that yeah uh one thing that kind of disturbs me and i hit it this earlier when i said it's all monetized is uh every one of these apps has a way to like promote yourself for money. Hmm. Like you can like boost yourself to the top of the top of like the, the men deck. If you just <laughs> shovel some, some money your way. That's <laughs> what the fuck? And at first I was like, why would you do that? Like girls I see first aren't any like more appealing to me than girls. I see third. Like I'm ba- I'm ba- trying my best to base this off of your profile. So why just putting myself first? But then I was like, well, I don't know. I'm sure there's some like psychological thing going on. Well, like, maybe like, you show up in like more feeds. That true too. Yeah. 
because then it's like if someone only checks the first five or the first 10, you know, you could be anywhere in their feed. You could not come up. But if you always come up first for an hour, then suddenly, no matter how many you check, you're popping up in all of their feed. Yeah. Apparently, um, uh, I read this article, Tindo, Tinder shadow ranks you, apparently. Hmm. I think is what it's called. Yeah. So after your, your picture's gone around a bit. Uh, Tinder, I think, it, I'm pretty sure it's Tinder. Tinder will evaluate, like, um, uh, so, like, like the women who, like, get the most, like, upvotes, if one of, like, if, like, one of the women who get the most upvotes, like, likes your pick, if a lot of them do, then you're, like, top tier. And so your picture will continue to be shown in, like, the, the number one Tinder ranking, Tinder ranking. Oh, jeez. But if like a lot of them don't, it'll lower your score and put you uh, in with uh, your peers. Oh, so if the elites think you're ugly, you just get like filed down. And, like, yeah, the... it works something like that. So they're like tears. I mean, okay. So that's, I mean, I want to come out and say like that's fucked up and all, right? But I will say that when I first downloaded Hinge, it was, I, I didn't put any effort into my profile. I didn't have a lot of photos of myself. One of my photos was a bathroom selfie. (laughs) Like it was a weak, weak profile. Okay. And it's Uh been improved since then. And I went around town with my dad. We took some photos, blah, blah, blah. You know, daddy helped me get some nice photos myself. Um, But I'm sitting here and I'm like, okay, these girls are attractive and they've put in a lot of effort into their profile. Like clearly they're here (laughs) to like to game and I'm not. And there was just no way if my profile is showed to this person, to anyone, by the way, with a bathroom selfie, not even like just, just anyone is not going to be like impressed by my profile. So it's like, I don't need, I don't know. It's like, because I, I, it's like, what, what I'm trying to say is basically like, I'm not a 10 out of 10. So don't match me with 10s, right? Yeah. Because they're just not, you know, it's like if, if someone works out all the time, I don't look like I work out all the time. You know, I'm not saying that like, I don't feel like I could like be a 10 at some point, but it's like, I'm not there right now. So yeah. it's well, like, okay. place it, me it, with it, people who are interested it, in me. <laughs> it, it doesn't just like, um, uh, like limit you. It doesn't like take you out of like the top tier feeds. It like limits how much you show up at all. And everyone's feeds. Yikes. I believe. That's probably why I haven't got any matches. Just no one even sees me. That God, that's that's it. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. and and it can be like really crushing to people because like you'll go on and you'll get a lot of attention at first. I mean, most apps work this way. And then you'll get nothing potentially. I think I see evidence of that with myself. Uh, when I downloaded Bumble in the first week, I've had maybe like eight people like my profile. I have to pay extra to see who those people are. That's when it says like, you missed a potential match because I didn't know who liked my photo. Um, Mm -hmm. And when I said that I had a bunch of people that I kept denying uh, or like missing out on, I guess, because it wasn't like I was looking at the people who liked me and then like being like, no, it's like I was just sifting through them and it would let me know. Uh, And I was just like, oh, I haven't got any matches in a long time and you know it's like well 
I find it hard to believe that no one is interested in me on Hinge, but oh, all I had to do is switch to Bumble and now I'm like a ladies man. So it's like, I kind of feel like I, I suspect that's probably what's up is that, and that wasn't like a surprise to me. When I started getting a bunch of matches, I kind of suspected that was a thing. Uh, was, you know, whether I'm getting just on more feeds or whatever, um, it, you know, it, it was a little too convenient, I guess, was the thing for me. You know, it, it was like mm-hmm. I downloaded this new dating app and all of a sudden I've got all these matches. And that was that was kind of a red flag for me, you know. Um, I'm still on them, you know, but I think for me, it's like I don't actually expect anything to come out of it. Like if I meet one person and that I that I'm like maybe interested in, I'll call it a W, right? And I think that uh, a lot of people think that way. And so, you know, I think it's, I don't know. It's like all the people on dating apps are either like looking for a hookup or don't feel like they should be on dating apps. Maybe. But, but I'm saying that because a lot of, like, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of the profiles I'm seeing, half of their bio is how much they hate that app. You know, I'm like pulling this, not from just my own experience, but from like things I'm reading on these profiles. Is it's like, man, why do we, why did they even download this app? Why is it, why, why are we doing this to ourselves? And it's just a weird subculture that I'm still trying to wrap my head around. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's like some sort of like weird, like virtual virtue signaling kind of thing. Like I'm not typically the kind of person who uses a dating app, but I'm, you know, I'm just here because maybe it's like that. I definitely think there's an aspect of virtue signaling. I kind of just didn't want to point it out because I think I do the same thing. <laughs> so I, I can't really like give people like a hard time for thinking that they're bait- better than dating apps when I've been on record so many times <laughs> saying, uh, yeah. I don't think I'm be- like better than dating apps, but it's like, I just don't feel like that's probably the way most people yeah. are going to meet. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't have a good sense of how most people feel about dating apps. I've never used one. So I, I, I don't either. Because people, a lot of people I've talked to, because uh, now that I'm in Michigan, I'm meeting uh, a bunch of new people, and no one seems to think it's weird, which to me indicates that they've like used them in the past or know plenty right. of people who use them. But no one thinks they're good. And so it's like, how can this thing exist? that everyone uses but no one knows is good which now that i say out loud there are like so many <laughs> examples of that yeah that i know people still complain about tv like ah, oh, tv is like it's destroying our nation it's making us dumber there's nothing good on it why do we have tv everyone goes home and watches tv yeah right? yeah it's kind of like that yeah, I don't know why people judge other people on their like sources of entertainment because we're all just trying to not be miserable. Who cares how you do it? Yeah, if I want to go home and whip myself, like that's just what I enjoy, man. Yeah, you just look in the mirror. I shouldn't be judged for that. <laughs> yeah, like I just go home, my intestines are on the table, I'm ready for the human sacrifice, and that's my business. Yeah, yeah. You know? I just like to be sacrificed in my spare time because that makes me feel important. Yeah, I just yeah. I just want to be needed. Yeah, yeah. And who needs me more than these people who are trying to uh, save their crops for the year? I'm doing something good for a community. Yeah, you know, if, if someone was like, we want to sacrifice you to Cthulhu to like 
trigger his rebirth i'd be like really me I, I would be like kind of flattered like yeah, you know there's I, gotta be something special about you to like I, I know it's i know it's hard but i just wanted to know like why did you pick me to like be <laughs> sacrificed to cthulhu i mean because you could uh, you know like you've seen chris pratt's face it's just a pretty don't you think cthulhu would be like really happy with someone like chris pratt but you picked me and i was just wondering why you know you'd be like what's so special about me i, I want to write that romance story now which between uh, between the uh the the demon worshiper and the 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 flattered sacrifice <laughs> oh that that would be an interesting story because there's like it's it's like the terminal disease story where like you know how it's going to end yeah yeah but it's, it's more interesting because maybe the like the demon worshiper will like he won't be able to do it or she won't be able to do it at the end oh, man. and so there'll be like this tension throughout like just building like is she gonna die is are, are they really gonna sacrifice like to the demon you know yeah i don't know it could be good what if it's what if it's ingrained in their culture and it's like it's there's no question it's like what if what if the sacrifice is like the the like the the penultimate experience for their relationship like (laughs) like this is this is their end goal this is like where their relationship is going it's not marriage it's not eternity it's not kinship it's like I'm your sacrificer and you're my sacrificee. Like we're so close. Like they're mantis people. Yeah. Yeah. Like I want to bang and then be eaten. Like that's, that's my role in life. Just head in the mouth, off the shoulders, just end my life. I don't know. That that could be kind of beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. This, this conversation I, like, so, escalated so fast. Anyway, I was about to say that maybe since we're about to hit the two hour mark or maybe we've passed it, uh, now is probably a good time to rope it in and yeah. uh, finish things up. It's hysterical that we took like that hard right, right before the end. But thank you so much for being the first person I ever interviewed on this podcast. Yeah. I'm, you know, I, I am so glad to be your first sacrifice to throw me out there yeah. to the masses. And you, yeah, you're my first sacrifice. It's possibly the most intimate relationship I have in my life. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you so much again and uh, have a good day. <laughs>